Welcome everyone to Invested, a limited series by Behind the Human and KPMG High Growth Ventures. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the minds of early stage investors to surface actionable insights for founders and startups to mentally and financially thrive. I think it's important for any founder to go who's going through a difficult time right now. I think two things. One is to know that you're not the only one. And then the second thing is to know that even the best founders or the companies that you probably most admire probably aren't handling it perfectly either. Everyone is making some some good decisions, some mediocre decisions and some bad decisions. You actually have to almost artificially create moments of build-up release, celebration and recovery in your organization and for yourself. Because if you don't, there'll be no natural opportunities. Nick Crocker is on the show today, who is a general partner at Blackbird Ventures, a venture capital firm that backs generational ambition with generational ownership by raising funds and investing in the best startup companies all the way through their journey from idea to beyond IPO. Nick, my man, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a blast. I, I already mentioned before we hit record, there's there's a vibe, there's a pulse when you land on Blackbird's website, which is uh, is, is really nice and unique, and there's a nice energy towards it. So I can't wait for the conversation. I can only imagine what's going on in your world. And um, hopefully we can help some founders on the other side listening to this. And, and frankly, anyone that's listening to this, there's, there's most likely going to be some good nuggets across the board. Um, but before we get into the topics, what lights you up about working with founders? Great question. I started as a founder myself and was mediocre at best at, at being a founder. Um, but what I really loved after the founding journey came to an end for me was spending time with other founders. Sure. And increasingly, I think the what you do with your spare time is one of the most interesting things about any person. And if I look back on my transition from founder into venture, the thing that I was just doing over and over was meeting with founders, seeing if I could help them, even if that just meant giving them a free lunch. Uh, uh, I, I was at a company called My Fitness Pal. We get yeah. like many San Francisco companies, we gave free lunch to all employees. Okay. I was generous with our free employee lunch policy and extended it to all people who reached out to me for email, especially Australian founders making their way to San Francisco for the first time. Yeah. So, and it's a funny story, actually. I remember we had Envoy, which a lot of tech companies do. When you come in, you have to sign in and sign the NDA and print batch. Yeah, yeah. And someone did an audit on who'd been getting visitors and how many visitors they'd been getting. And... I had been getting more visitors than anyone else in the company. And so a couple of people internally just had a quiet word and said, okay, you have to stop doing this. Um, but it was a sign that I loved spending time with founders and I loved helping them. And that's pretty much the job description of being a VC. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have to ask though, I, I know you, you're you quite humble and you said you, you're, you weren't a very good founder, but I mean, you're, you're sitting at my fitness pal after being, after them acquiring sessions. And then also you had another acquisition by Twitter. So, I mean, you're doing, I'm assuming you're doing something right in the founder space. Well, 
Blackbird's a fund that's been able to invest in companies like Canva and CultureAmp and Safety Culture. So comparatively, I just didn't make it. If, there's, if the journey is a thousand steps, maybe I made it two steps along and I get to spend okay. my time every day with founders that are hundreds of steps into the journey. So I'm not being humble. I'm just being objective that okay. <laughs> we, we sold because we were, we were better as an idea within another startup. We, the success to me in startups is building something independent and enduring. And, sure. and super success is can you build something that lasts decades? And I lasted two years. So, and none of, none of what I built exists anymore. So I'm probably even okay. more extreme. I wasn't even, um, it wasn't even that I was moderately successful. Like I was a failed founder. And I, I think that, I, I don't think that's humble. I think that's fair. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, I mean, just to set the stage with, um, the current environment for founders, like if you had to just pick one word that intuitively comes up to describe what they're working in right now, like the marketing conditions and so forth and everything that's going on. Like what, what, what intuitively comes to mind for you? I would pick the word uncertain. Okay. So every founder is trying to have a guess about where the world will be one and two years from now. And so suddenly you're getting founders talking about inflation prints as part of their uh, thought processes. That's not normal. Yeah. That's, you know, honestly not the greatest Thing for founders to be spending their time guessing about but every founder has to do it every founder of a business that's losing money that needs venture funding to survive is making a bet about the what what kind of market they'll be raising their next round of funding into and anyone who's raised money this year will know that it's been more difficult than it was last year that's for sure and good companies yeah. are still getting funded but it is it is i would say the other thing that's happening right now is there's almost like price finding where venture funds are sort of waiting to see where prices land and founders are trying to avoid that price landing below their last round. And anyone who raised last year, especially in the second half of last year, was raising at the highest valuations in all of human history. So yeah, it's, it's really a wild time. And uh, the best founders are responding quickly and in the right way. But there's lots of hard decisions. Every time you see layoffs, remember that's, that's people that lost their job who will remember losing their job for the rest of their lives. It's um, don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to um, gloss over how hard it is for founders to make those decisions. And as as a board yeah. member of some companies that have done those layoffs, I obviously, I obviously don't um, go and go and do the layoffs myself. But uh, it it does weigh heavily when you put your head on the pillow that you know did we make the right decision? Yeah. So what are the conversations that you're having? with some of your founders to try to help with, with some of that pressure in, in those, whether it's layoffs or, or, you know, like already working in an uncertain environment as a, as a founder from the, from the, from the get go, then you layer on everything that's happening. It's a whole other level of uncertainty, right? Like what are, I guess, you know, if they're, if, if everyone's in the same room and you've got some advice to give, like what, what, what's that conversation right now? I think the biggest the thing we're trying to avoid is catastrophe. So we're making hard decisions to avoid a much so we're creating effectively a bad situation to avoid a much much worse situation. So okay. kind of like playing defense, a bit a little bit, yeah, yeah. Just giving ourselves the most number of options so that we don't create create something so we don't do something really wrong. 
and and okay. we're trying to make sure the company survives, right? Like company runs out of money, it's all over. So it doesn't matter what you aspired to if you if you if you if the company falls over. So each of the conversations is really just starts at a survive at the sort of through the lens of survival. How much money do we have in the bank? How much money are we burning? Uh, what's our progress been? If we had to raise around now, what would we be able to get? If we had to raise in 6, 12, 18 months, what do we think that looks like? And then for each company, it's a different set of steps to see your way through that. So it might be raising debt. It might be having to lay people off. It might be doubling down. It might be not raising around. It might be that there's sort of once you've got the broad the broad strokes, yeah. which is how many, basically how many how many months until you run out of money, that's when you start implementing the plan. So fortunately, um, most of that work is behind us. We did that work through February, March, April of this year. That was when it was at its most intense. Um, but now we're in the process of executing all those plans, and that's when um, you know mm, it, it, yeah. that's when the hard work begins in a sense. So how are how are teams managing like what the, any type of tough decisions, right? Like it's hard, it's hard to make really good decisions and, and be, be clear on those decisions or intentional when like our minds are full of fear and uncertainty and just fogged with all of that emotion. Are, are you seeing, are there any good examples of some of the founders in your portfolio that either have some good practices or mindsets to, to, to really kind of step up and, and not get, you know, pulled down in the negativity of, of what's going on? I think everyone deals with it in their own way. Uh, I don't think there is like a, a founder dealing with it perfectly. I think every founder is yeah. bringing themselves to the situation, the good parts of themselves, the bad parts of themselves and trying their best. I would also say I've probably been surprised through this cycle to see, I shouldn't be surprised, but it is surprising to see how often the business side of things will often co coincide with them having to deal with something on the personal front. And so you actually... The, what do you mean? The, uh, well, this is this is not an example, but I'll, this is a hypothetical. Yeah. I'm not, this is not a particular founder, but... Sure. Uh, Let's say you're having to you're having to navigate layoffs, and then at the same time you find out that a parent has cancer or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. you're getting the double hit, the personal and the um, yeah. and the professional, where where it's landing on you at that same time. So I would, you know, I, I think bad news doesn't come in in a linear sequence. Actually, it's more common that bad news comes in clumps. And, mm -hmm. and so I've been surprised how many founders are going through the sort of, hey, I have to make my, found, my, my startup survive are also dealing with something on the personal side. And so there's a lot at stake. And um, I guess I think it's important for any founder to go who's going through a difficult time right now. I think two things. One is to know that you're not the only one. And then the second thing mm -hmm. is to know that even the best founders or the companies that you probably most admire probably aren't handling it perfectly either. Everyone is making some some good decisions, some mediocre decisions and some bad decisions. And I think if I think it's important not to create these mental models for people where there's a perfect way to handle something and then there's the way they're handling it and and 
compounding all that stress with a sense that they're, they're failing too. Like most of the time yeah. people are honestly just bumbling their way through in the best way that they can in an imperfect situation with imperfect information. And that's, I think acceptance of that fact is a really important part of the process. Yeah. This might be seem like a, an odd pivot or maybe it's not a pivot, but I'm just curious given I know a bit of your background, but like you're a big NBA fan, a LeBron James fan. Like, is there anything from that world and LeBron specifically that you think about when, you know, like things that, you know, he does from a performance standpoint, being the best, you know, in his field um, that you think can transfer over to founders in, in, in this world? Well, specifically on LeBron James, I think the decision, which is for the, the uninitiated, was the the time in 2011 where he made a decision to leave Cleveland Cavaliers and go to the Miami Heat. At the time, it was probably the worst thing that had ever happened to him and it felt like probably for the next two years it was the worst thing that ever happened to him. And over the arc of his career, actually it was the best thing that could have ever happened to him because he left, he grew up, he grew up in a different environment and he became the person that he needed to become to go back to Cleveland and ultimately win that title. So if you want a LeBron James yeah. lesson, it's embarrassing how quickly that came to me. Um, but if you want a LeBron James <laughs> lesson, it's uh, the, the, what, what you go through in your darkest days is often what sets you up for success on the best days. I think the other, the other cliched LeBron story that always comes up is LeBron invests a million dollars a year and is keeping his um, body and mind at, at its peak. And like as a piece of general advice, most founders grossly underinvest in their um, physical and mental well-being, like shockingly underinvest. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that knowledge is not that helpful. And so the real question is what is driving founders to, to make that underinvestment? And there's a concept in behavior change called readiness. And I think uh, unfortunately or fortunately, until someone's ready to change, you as an external person, it's very difficult to enforce that. So in my dream world, every every founder would have a counselor, every founder would have an executive coach, every founder would meditate, every founder would have a personal trainer, and every founder would be able to focus on their sleep and nutrition in a way that set them up for the 10-plus year journey of, of sustained stress that, that being a founder is. How many founders I work with have all, all five of those in place? Zero. And I had a conversation with the founder yesterday. I said, you need to hire a chief of staff. You just, there's so much going on right now. You need to hire a chief of staff. I've been saying that for two years. Maybe I'll get through one day, maybe I won't. But until their kind of readiness to embrace that change is there, I'm, I'm just beating the same drum. So it's not a, founders know what they need to do. It's just sometimes it's hard, like for anyone, to to make positive change is actually much harder than most people realize. Hello, everyone. I want to first thank you for listening to this limited series and let you know if you're looking for more insights and resources designed specifically for startups and scale-ups, we've got you covered. Head over to highgrowthventures.com.au. That's highgrowthventures.com.au. Now back to the show. Well, I find like what's interesting, like especially if we stay, stick with the sports example. I mean, you know, LeBron obviously he's at the very top, and and I've I've read some of those stories as well about 
how much he's investing in his his well-being and performance and and I think the the big one that most of us don't think about is the recovery, right? And like you're going all out as a founder like but there's zero recovery, right? Which is obviously sleep and and taking some time off and and so forth. Like what cuz that's the like the business world is kind of the only world like that. Even even in in amateur sports, you do have other, you know, not at the level of a million bucks a year, but you know, you do have coaches, you do have people really, you know, in different, you know, camps helping you recover and perform and so forth and and, and whatnot. Like I'm I'm trying to figure out like what is the narrative to relate right to to these founders because as soon as the mind stops functioning so does the company and the team i mean and and frankly on, on your side too as investors i mean that the investment's gone as well right so it's it's all it's in all of our best interest to keep people performing and feeling good you know even as the consumer on the other side because then we get to experience these you know these innovations and so forth but like what's where's the gap in your opinion yeah so this is where the elite athlete um, startup CEO comparison breaks down because if you think about elite athletes, they're optimizing for short periods of high performance. And so there's actually a cadence of build-up performance, recovery, build-up performance and recovery. But being yeah. a star, if, if, you, if you actually want to make the analogy work, you basically have to say founders are playing a game of basketball that never ends. And if they step off the court, the game keeps mm. happening without them. And it goes for it, 10 yeah. years. And so... Yeah. So I think the answer is that you actually have to almost artificially create moments of build-up, release, celebration, and recovery in your organization and for yourself because if you don't, there'll be no natural opportunities. And yeah. I, if, you, if you ask athletes, like, what's the best moment about being an athlete, they often say it's that 10 minutes after the win where we're all together. And I think founders kind of need to artificially create that 10 minute 10 minutes where we're all together celebrating moment so that there is a release because yeah in practicality let's say you say all right everyone we're gonna have a lunch together well everyone's coming into that lunch totally busy they're leaving lunch with a thousand things to do there there's actually like they might be switching off, but the business isn't. So sometimes if you say to a founder, oh, go take two weeks off, that actually makes the situation worse because they've got so many burning fires and then they're away for two weeks and the fires burn out of control. So I've actually yeah. heard different alternatives where like a break for a founder is that they finish every day at three for a month or because yeah. actually it can, be, it can increase the stress and pressure if the problems get worse and sometimes walking away from the problems is going to compound them. So it, it, there's a whole there's a whole narrative and language and sort of set of expectations and cadences in in the land of founders that I don't think are well established about how you create those release and recovery moments and you can't you have to create them yourself you can't wait for the business to create them for you because they just don't happen. Yeah, I, I mean I, I'm happy you 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 brought the example like the ten year basketball game essentially that that like never ends because at least then you. you at least then we have some context, right? And we can start working towards making the adjustments. Yeah, it's not the exact situation as, as other industries and, and sports and stuff like that, but there there are opportunities that, you know, uh, we can prioritize our health and, and so forth so we can think better and, and whatnot. I remember I interviewed Scott Belsky from Behance, which was acquired by Adobe, um, 
years back, and I remember him saying too, when he was running Behance, they had, he called it mental gymnastics. And it was, they would just have these little micro moments of celebration um, that he's like, you know, it'd be the websites working properly. And let's just take a moment to celebrate those, those situations. Right. And so your, your analogy of like these releases and recovery moments uh, fits really well with that. And I, I don't think there's a lot of people that think like that. And I think what you've got to be really conscious of is actually you've got, it's a skill to be able to switch off. So as a practical example, this is something I've really struggled with. If I look through the first four or five years of being in venture, every single holiday I went on was interrupted by some portfolio company crisis issue event that I, that absolutely needed me to pull out of the, out of my holiday and, and, you know, drop into a board meeting or sign something or resolve some situation. And so I actually consider it a skill. Switching off from this job is a skill that you build up over time. So as a, as a very practical, tangible example, I'm, I'm taking a break next, uh, next Wednesday. I mean, my, my last day, I'm going to take a 10 day break. I've got a Trello card, like at the top of my to-do list today, the Trello card says, don't take on anything new. (laughs) Because if I start something now, if I send a Slack message to someone or if I start something now, then I'm going to do have to deal with it for the next two weeks. Like my process of switching off starts now by specifically. And the other thing, my Trello Trello board now has a list, which is stuff I'm going to do before I go away and stuff I'm not going to touch until I'm back. And it's just constantly trying to switch things over into the when I'm back. But that skill of being able to actually set myself up to take time off is something that I've had to do by having 10 bad holidays in a row where I was stressed. Like, I was raising money on our honeymoon, closed funding rounds on our baby moon. Like it was just, it just like yeah. any founder, like any, anyone who's, because remember Blackbird's a startup too, right? You know, we were five, pe- five people and then we're eight people at the beginning of 2020 and we're 70 people now. And so it's hard, sometimes it's That's hard to switch. Serious Blackbird. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's actually in a, you know, my, my best kind of founder journey and I'm not a founder of Blackbird, but it has been, being up close as a partner here over the last two, three years because going through all the same scaling issues that, that founders go through, it's actually been an awesome experience. But I had, to, I had to actually say to myself, like, this cannot, I can't keep having these breaks that get stolen away from me. I have to learn yeah. to take breaks. And I don't think founders think about taking, switching off as a skill that they have to build up. Yeah. Well, what, so let's talk about you a little bit. I mean, your dad, your husband, how, like, what, what are some of your practices or non-negotiables, um, either on a weekly basis or daily basis, to you know bring some stillness to your mind, or uh, flip your your mood into a good state, or physical exercise, like whatever. Like, what are some of these rituals that that work for you? With the caveat, again, always whether it's this series or just behind the human in general, there's no prescription to this stuff. The reason I ask these questions is someone listening will resonate with something that you're saying and be like, ah, that will work with it within my stack, for example. Yeah. The greatest, I think the greatest hack to mental health is learning to meditate. Like I genuinely, I'll kind of, I'll die on a ditch on that one. Everyone should learn to meditate and everyone should have meditation okay. as, a, as close to as possible to a daily practice, you know, and obviously life gets in the way. Yeah. But what's your flow? What, what are you doing? 
Um, so I learned how to meditate doing a course called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is called MBSR, okay. which I think is the best globally recognized beginner's course because I think most people fall the first hurdle, which is they're like, I can't meditate. Meditate doesn't – they have a mental model of what they're trying to do that's completely yeah, yeah. dislocated from what actual meditation is. And I still haven't worked out how to explain meditation in a compelling way, by the way. When you explain it, it sounds terrible. So there's, you know, it's on, on, on the meditators of the world to do a better job of selling it, I think. But post-MBSR course, I just used the Waking Up app, Sam Harris's Waking Up app. I yeah. found, tried all, I've tried all of them far and away for me. Waking Up is the most, um, it's, it's, the, it's the one I like the most. So I think that one's kind of, I think of that like flossing your teeth. Um, and yeah. sort of just bad things will happen if you don't. Um, what else? Tactically, I think one really critical practice for me is um, my calendar is blocked every Friday from 2 p.m. onwards. I, I, it's completely blocked. And I have a okay. checklist of like kind of get everything wrapped by Friday so that I can go into the weekend knowing that I don't have to look at my inbox. I know that every, like I have a, I know that everything I have to do is – recorded somewhere with a due date on it so i can i can actually go into the weekend and be present and that process takes two two to three hours and it's like clear out my inbox clear out slack clear out whatsapp clear out iMessage clear out linkedin clear out my trello i'll add due dates to everything in trello I actually do something that's super, super inefficient, but I keep doing it. So there must be something to it, which is I go through every every email I sent or received for the last week. And what, what I'm doing there is just reminding myself of, oh, that, that thing, I need to prioritize that thing. It's like a very, very inefficient review of the week. And then after at the end of it all, I write, I kind of write a little mini essay, like what happened this week? And then I send it to my wife because during the week we don't, you know, two kids and She's a hematologist, so we don't have a lot of time to just kind of catch up over the over the during the week. So on Friday, she gets my message of everything. And so she comes into Saturday going, I know exactly what you've been through this week. And so it's sort oh, of interesting. It's professional, professional to personal transition. It's extremely powerful. Um, yeah. And then I think the other thing I do that's really helpful at the moment is I don't take meetings on Wednesdays. So my, my whole Wednesday is meeting free. So Wednesday catches all the all the flow, flow from Monday, Tuesday, and then mm. sets me up for Thursday, Friday. And then just that rhythm of empty Wednesday, half day yeah. Friday that's unblocked, just kind of keeps things sustainable. Release and recover. This is exactly what this is. And, and to good. be honest, like Wednesday, Wednesdays are much lower. Like I could probably go and look, I wear the hour ring. And I, I yeah. think heart rate variability is my favorite data point of the hour ring. Yeah. So you can look into the science of heart rate variability. I just think of it as a proxy for stress where high heart rate variability, not stressed, low heart rate variability, stressed. And I think, you know, Wednesdays are the, are the day where I, I can just take a bit longer take, and, and I can just recover from the intensity of, you know, 10 different meetings on the Monday and the Tuesday and, and, and set yeah. myself up for success for the rest of the week. But th those two rhythms I'm, I stick to pretty religiously and I, I don't know where I'd be without them. Okay. Super helpful. Super helpful. And it's just like, again, like if any founders listening, I mean, this, we could all do this, right? Like I, it, it, 
it may feel impossible in the moment, just given the amount of meetings or things going on. But I mean, it's like anything, as you slowly bring it in, it becomes more comfortable. People around you adapt as well. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's a new habit and you're feeling a hell of a lot better because of it, right? Especially those Friday reviews. That's changed my life too. I think um, the other one that I've found really helpful in transitioning to being more disciplined about my calendar is sometimes it's really hard to say no. And yeah. it's not hard to say no to, to stuff that obviously you don't want to do. But I would say two-thirds of what I get asked is stuff that I would love to do, people I would love to meet, conversations I would love to have, genuinely love to have. But to be elite at what I do, I have to say no to all the good and only focus on the great. And that's hard. And so I would say like a huge skill that I've learned over the last year and a half is having the ability and the discipline and the consistency to say no to good things. And mm. that has been really hard because I got to where I am today by being a yes, yes to opportunities, yes to helping people, yes to taking that coffee. People do, took coffees with me, which opened up doors that have changed my life. So I always feel that sense of like I have to give back to the person sure. that, that reaches out and asks for time. But I kind of counterintuitively, if I don't start saying no, I'll, I'll plateau here and I won't be able to go to the next level. And that has been that has been a real focus and honestly something that has not come naturally. But I just look, I feel like my inbox now is just basically me saying no, like just variations on no to two-thirds of yeah, stuff yeah. that comes into it. Uh, which honestly, it doesn't feel great. Like I can't recommend it as a lifestyle, but it's there's no other way I, you can be at a certain point if you're trying to try to be as the kind of best person that you can be. How did you come to that realization? Is it like one of those Friday reviews or in any reflective period or something where that 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 surfaced for you? Uh, executive coaching. So I've been working with an executive mm -hmm. coach for the last four or five years. First thing he did is he made me learn how to meditate. Uh, yeah. And then two or three years into it, um, we talked about um, this concept called the theory of the stages of adult development and stage three. It's very, very dense. I've never really got into the actual literature of it, but let me just give you the high level. Stage three sure. is that you live your life for other people and stage four is that you live your life for yourself. Okay. I'm grossly oversimplifying, but that's basically it. And it's really... Yeah arresting sometimes to think how many decisions you made because you thought you had to, you felt obligated or you did it for someone else. And the sort of very, most adults, like most adults stop there. Very few people go and build their own internal scorecard and live by that scorecard because it's honestly uncomfortable and, and you feel selfish and it's a change generally from what made you successful in the first place. So uh, it was actually coaching where that came up, where situations that I was facing, often I was creating the situation for myself by imagining how someone else would respond to me, uh, making the decision to generate a response in someone else, not making a decision because that was what I wanted to do and what I thought was the right thing to do and then being willing to live with the consequences. Okay. It's called Keegan's Theory of Adult Development, K-E-G-A-N. I'll take note of that. Well, I was going to ask really, you. It's really, um, it's really impenetrable. So what I did was I've, I've tried to, I've created a bunch of like, I tried to make it more, more um, digestible by creating, by just turning it into a bunch of statements that would be true about you had you ascended to level four. 
And like, I'm someone that uh, still dips between three and four. But I, I wrote yeah. a blog post, um, which I can share with you, which which sort of breaks down this set of into just a set of statements or that that you, look affirmations that someone yeah. at level four would live in that way. Um, but it's a journey. I'm not I'm not there. I'm, as I said, I'm constantly realizing shit. I shouldn't have done this. I I did this because I'm doing it not for myself but for someone else. I'm, but again, I'm yeah. getting. I would say uh, the, I'm making progress slowly. Yeah. Well, I think the key, though, is like, first, we have to get clear in every sense of the word, right? Like, then once we're clear, then we can be more intentional with what we're doing day in and day out. And then, you know, when those two things are happening, then there's an expansion of, of possibility because you, you're not flooded by all this stuff. You can see the path and so forth. So um, I, I definitely hard, did. I, so I wrote hard. that. If you if oh, you yeah, ask very people, you ask people what do you want in life, most people couldn't give you a good answer, and so you got to yeah. start. I think I think you got to start young, practicing writing an answer to that. Maybe you achieve it, and then you realize actually that's not what I wanted, uh, or actually I got that wrong, or actually now that I'm older I want something different. Like it's there's an art to knowing what you want. I think there's a I think there's a Maslow quote where knowing what you want is a difficult psychological achievement or something like that, which I think is really true. Well, I think we just need to ask the questions. I think a lot, I mean, I, I spent a lot of my work in, in mental fitness and the kind of this, one of the staple practices that, that I'm usually using is journaling and, mm. and asking questions. So, I mean, to me, it's all, whether it's business or whether it's us personally, it's who am I now and who am I striving to become? And, you know, there's a gap usually, and it doesn't have to be this giant scary gap, but just to take some steps forward, right? Where's the business now? Where do we want the business to be? Well, is my calendar and everything I'm doing reflecting where we want it to be? It's either yes or no, right? Or, or maybe there's a bit of a sort of there, but it, at least we can get some data and some clarity, right? And I think like a lot of the stuff that you're suggesting and that you're doing allows for that clarity to surface. We just need to pause a bit to think and ask yeah. the question, right? Yeah. Are any any other tools, Nick, that uh, tools, books, podcasts, anything like that, resources that... Um, you'd like to suggest to, to the listeners that have been helpful for you and your, and your team? So this is an extreme one, but to your, you made the point earlier that if you look at someone's calendar, you can kind of tell what they value. So yeah. I, I took that very seriously and tracked every minute that I worked for four years, which yeah, I heard about that on another podcast. I was like, holy smokes. Yeah, I mean, there's like 10,000 10, rows in the spreadsheet and I stopped that actually on, on the advice of my executive coach. He said, just experiment with what it's like to live without tracking every minute that you work. But the one benefit of doing that was I got such a good sense for my output over month, year, four years, kind of a lot of yeah. comfort that on the weeks where you're like, man, I'm really falling behind. Like actually you find ways to catch up. You know, unproductivity un un doesn't last forever. Equally, super productivity doesn't last forever. It comes in ebbs and flows. And I just got a real sense of um, my capacity to change how I allocate my time is actually pretty limited. Like you can you can slowly, you can be in the arm wrestle with it over time, but you can't make, it's hard to make really massive wholesale changes because often the person you are and the way you spend your time is there are some strong external and internal forces dictating that. And so it just gave me a real sense of clarity over how to allocate my time, how to think about reallocating it when it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And then it just almost like a sense of comfort, like like a sense of trust in myself. That was actually a decent 
time allocator relative to, yeah. to the life I was trying to lead. So I, I love time tracking. I don't recommend everyone do it for four years, but <laughs> three months probably teaches you 75 to 85% of the value that I got in four years. And what you think you do and what you actually do are two very different things. And having that objective, clear, very accurate reflection, like, hey, here's, here's actually how you spent your time last quarter. You think you spent it this way, but actually you spent it this way. is kind of closing that gap is super powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just like an aura ring, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm sleeping well and feeling good. But, well, aura is telling me that is not the case, right? Awesome. Exactly. And exactly make right. Yeah. Last question for you, man. Um, any, and it's about questions. Are, are there any questions that you think we're not asking founders right now and we should be? Hmm, that's a hard one. I want to think about that. Um, yeah time i mean i always i always the question i always ask is is there anything we should have talked about that we didn't <laughs> i want to always open yeah. that door that open it up, hey, we yeah. had this whole conversation but did i is there an elephant in the room that i just can't see so i would say that's a very common question is there anything that we didn't talk about that we should have and it's not that it always not that it always brings something up but it creates the space or it might plant a seed and then a week later you get a call and say, hey, we, we probably should have talked about this. So I think yeah. always creating the space, I would say, I would say that, you know, you, you, there's just so much going on for founders and so much changes week to week that you can come in with a picture of what you think is going on, but actually you miss, you're missing 30 to 40% of the picture because this new bit of information has come up that you you just haven't, you know, asked in the right way. And I think the founder-investor relationship is not, um, you know, it's not a perfect one because the incentives don't perfectly align. So a founder won't always say everything that's worrying them because they want the investor to fund them again and they don't want to make them think that they haven't got their shit together. So yeah. Um, yeah. trying to create, you'll, you'll never create the, the perfect space or alignment, but it's worth worth opening up the question. Yeah. Well, I'm here. That's been a consistent theme coming up in this series. And it's just that, like, let's just not pretend that 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 relationship will get there because it. The, to your point, there's there are dynamics there that, you know, that's that that's it is what it is. But I, what I'm hearing is that the investment community uh, are very supportive, but the the whether it's executive coaching or other you know team mental fitness or founder support on well being, you know, it's it's okay to be an arm's length away, right? Yeah. And I don't want to be the counselor. I just want to have the number of two or three counselors that I trust and, and know will look after people who need one. I think, yeah. I think knowing your limits and your boundaries is really critical in this job. And, uh, that's something I'm getting better at as well. Sure. Well, Nick, I want to thank you for your time, for your insight, sharing, you know, some of your crazy time tracking tools and tips and tricks, uh, plus everything else, of course. I really, really love the idea of this, just this release and recovery and kind of artificially building in this time with that sports analogy. It's that, that really kicked me back in my chair to think. So I hope it's helping you know, others. You know, I know it will. question I'd ask is, uh, yeah. when was the last time you had a moment of levity, L-E-V-I-T-Y, with the company? So much of company building is like grind, heavy, bad yeah. decision, bad thing. 
when was the mo- last moment you felt light in the context of your business? And if the answer is never, I think that's probably okay, but it's worth asking yourself, can I create moments of levity on the journey? Great question. Beautiful way to end. I'm going to end on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing and supporting the founders out there in this world that are bringing awesome product services and, and offerings to all of us. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you for sticking around for the entire episode. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And again, for more startup and scale up resources, swing over to highgrowthventures.com.au. That's highgrowthventures.com.au. Have a stunning day.